Welcome to another MotoGP podcast with us here at the race. Toby Moody, Simon Patterson and Valentin Harunchi are here to talk about the man, the rider, the sportsman, Valentino Rossi, who I still say has single-handedly put MotoGP way higher up the order of world sport than any other person in the MotoGP paddock over the last two decades. He came into the big class in 2000 with the end of the 500cc era for Honda. He then won on that 500cc bike. He dominated the first years of the four-stroke era in 2002 and three, and then he went to Yamaha in 2004 for seven years. He had to go and kiss that other girl on the other side of the Piazza Ducati for a couple of years in 2011 and 12, but it didn't really work out. So he came back to Yamaha in 2013. But into 2021, it's the same but different because Valentino Rossi is going from the works Yamaha to the Patronus Yamaha, the second string team. Maybe I ought not to say that they're the second string team because actually they won seven, sorry, six out of the seven Grand Prix that Yamaha won last year. Simon, if I can start with you, what's the first thing that comes into your mind regarding 2021 Valentino Rossi and Patronus Yamaha? It's actually good to see Valentino Rossi looking like an underdog. We've got so used <laughs> to see him in a factory team and still not being able to deliver that I think it's quite nice to see him in satellite colours as the you know the second tier, as not the factory rider, as the guy saying, I'm just going to ride the bike, I'm not going to worry about developing it. All those things, it's quite refreshing actually after 20 odd years of him being the guy. Valentin, if I can ask you to talk about Valentino, mm -hmm. what are the first thing that comes come into your mind? I think it's much the same as Simon, maybe, but at the same time, I'd have to add Swan Song. Like it's it's been a while that we've been pondering the idea of Valentino Rossi retiring, but it's you know seeing him in these new satellite colors uh, and speaking about you know this only one year deal. It it feels like the end is very near. It needn't, needn't be twenty twenty two, but it it feels a lot more tangible now than it did when he was in the in the Yamaha colors for whatever reason. It is quite simply a little bit weird to see him in something other than the Yamaha blue, whether or not it's a Fiat blue or a bit of monster black and green or whatever you want to call it. Um, what's the kind of vibe that we've got from him and the team so far? Simon, you were on a, on a Zoom call with him the other day. What's your feeling? He sounds like someone that's relishing a new challenge, which is kind of what we 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 thought coming into this uh, this week of of the team launch that he would be that he'd be you know maybe a bit more energized, a little bit more refreshed, glad to be away from the politics of the factory team a little bit, and that's that's actually kind of what's happened. Um, you know, he's he sounds excited. Someone asked him in the debrief if. Uh, you know, what his goals were, or why he was still racing. And he said, look, I've done this for 26 years. I'm not here to make up the numbers. I'm here to race. And it's it's good to hear that sort of fight and talk from Valentino. Um, so hopefully, you know, we've talked a lot this week on the website about what the team can do for him because they're a young team. They're, uh, they're completely mad. You know, I spent a bit of time inside that box and... You know, you see things like someone takes off their shoes and whenever they come back to get them, they've been super glued to the floor. All that sort of stupid antics in the garage, that's going to, 
I think Valentino, it's going to keep MotoGP's Peter Pan being Peter Pan. Valentin, what's your vibe? Uh, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say I saw some of that. And also there's been an interesting dichotomy where Rossi is relishing not being involved in the not being as involved in the development of the bike anymore but also last year he did say that he didn't feel already too involved in it uh he expressed a belief that the japanese engineers did sort of what they wanted to do and the riders desires were a bit secondary so maybe that also sort of indicates that he'd grown a bit tired of the factory atmosphere i think he'll find life at patronus maybe a bit more fun but at the same time as he said today about any retirement plans in 2022 it's all based on results and so is fun fun is based on results if he's the fourth fastest yamaha out of four it doesn't really matter if he's at the factory team or at patronus it's not going to be good enough it's not going to be fun uh so the the shine of the new colors the shine of the more relaxed independent team i think that'll only take him so far and i think we'll know after the first maybe two or three races just just how fun this whole enterprise is proving for him it is absolutely refreshing that he's moved. You know, the same old faces breeds familiarity. You get comfortable in that comfortable chair. So new faces will be good. And he'll be curious to get the best out of people whom he's never met before and who he knows can win those six Grand Prix as they did last year. So he he they will want to step up in the garage as well. There'll be some people who will be who will be working with Valentino who were probably still at school when he was winning a 500cc grand prix uh, two decades ago so they want to to be part of that bandwagon as well Simon I think there's a few people in that garage who weren't born when he was winning 500 grand prix <laughs> 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 bearing in mind that Fabio Quattararo the writer he's replacing was barely born when he was winning 500 grand prix so um... I was barely born <laughs> you, you you reinforce my point that yeah. i'm now old so uh yes um <clears throat> as you say valentin you touched on it the fun loving thing will only get you so far uh, maybe the works yamaha team will go a step up that's we've discussed for many a moon that they need to make and all of a sudden the turquoise green is left behind but he last won a Grand Prix in end of June 2017. That was the Dutch TT at Assen. And 2017, that was just an eon ago. He came close a couple of times, but wasn't quite able to do it. Um, I think he can win races. I think he will not rest easy if he doesn't win another race. I think, Simon, that'll be a, an easy thing to agree with, and indeed you, Valentin. Yeah, uh, that's very much my impression too, and it's it's not really based on anything Rossi said so much, but it just makes sense that there's this itch that still isn't scratched that he needs to he needs to win again. I'm I'm not sure how much I believe that he will, not because I've revisited his 2020 season in, in preparation for this podcast and in preparation for his media sessions, and it's it was not as bad as the results made it look. I've looked at, uh, at the qualifying average, and it was you know 10.5, which is not great, but Johan Mears is only one better, and he won the title. I've looked at his uh, relative position to the other Yamaha riders, and it was 2.7 out of 4, so not great, but not the obvious worst one. But, you know, he's not getting any younger and it'll sort of, the problem for, for Rossi is if the, 2020, if the 2021 bike is better than the 2019 bike Franco Morbidelli's in, then there are two other hungry young guys who are probably quicker at this point nine times out of 10 
that will be there to take the win away from him. And if the factory spec Yamaha is still that insane Jekyll and Hyde thing that works one weekend, doesn't work another, then that takes a lot of opportunities off the board immediately. I, I think there's just not enough races, maybe. Like, he always surprises me come Sunday. He he looks not so quick over one lap and then he fights through through the pack. But I, I don't know, it might be with how strong the, the Yamaha factory lineup is that's on the same bikes as he is. I, I think it might be a bridge too far. I disagree. I think that he still has the beating of the factory riders. That's the thing. I think that the the other two, Maverick in particular, is Mr. Bloody inconsistent, isn't he? You never know what Maverick's going to turn up from day to day, let alone from race weekend to race weekend. Um, so I think he is still going to be like that. There will still be days whenever Valentino gets out of bed on a Sunday morning and thinks, "Yeah, I'm, I can win this," and suddenly he's in the fight. You know, the the other thing is that we all know what he's like in the rain. We all know what he's like whenever conditions are funny. He doesn't need to be winning dry races in front of an entire field by 10 seconds to still be having fun, does he? If he beats Petrucci in the last corner in a wet race at Le Mans where nine of the others have already crashed, he'll celebrate just as hard on the podium. I, 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 I see that scenario, but I only see it happening in the first few races before Mark comes back and wins wet races by 20 seconds every time. Or Jack Miller, so... <laughs> that, that's another six-hour podcast okay. to discuss that. Let's just wait. <laughs> Um, I think he does get up every Sunday morning knowing he can win. Um, that's how they're wired up. They they all believe their own hype. The, the problem is that, as Simon touched on, there are people on the other side of the garage or elsewhere on the grid who are half his age and have got no imagination and haven't been to hospital. So they just that, <laughs> just that half a percent. And that's all it is, half a percent, which is half a second over a minute and 40, Half a percent better. Um, yeah, it, it, it's uh, it's the old question. How good is he now? Um, maybe I've answered that with what he did by winning in Assen 2017. That was his last victory. Uh, is he still good? It's just that the others are better, I suppose, is what I'm getting to. Yeah, that's what I'd say. That's that's certainly my view on it. I think he's good. I don't. I'm not of the opinion that he's taking up a seat in any any sense of the way. I look at the the current Moto Two riders and I look at the the grid overall and the the Patronus Yamaha is a is a is a great package and it's a package that deserves more than a farewell tour. But Valentino Rossi is still clearly very competitive, especially on race day, and he still has a lot to offer even beyond his just mere profile. He's a good MotoGP rider, but Yamaha has four good MotoGP riders, and I think the other three are better. That's I mean that's the way I I've seen it the, these past two years. I think. Starting from already midway through 2019, it was clear that they had to place Fabio alongside Maverick in the in the factory team, and I think even even with how both Fabio and Maverick's campaign completely fell apart last year, I think that doesn't overall change the fact that they're still better bets at this point in time. One caveat I will throw out there is that yeah, it's been asked in 2017 since Rossi's won a race, but there's at least two occasions off the top of my head I can think of right now that he should have won that he still had the outright speed to win. Uh, there was the one at Sepang where he threw it away in the last lap. And there was the one at Coda where uh, Renz came through and took the win. You know, so the speed is still there. The pace is still there. It just needs the right day, the right circumstances. 
and the other Yamahas to maybe be a little bit unsettled or, or something like that. The other thing is, I think that if it comes down to one of those weekends where everything's working well for the Yamahas and they can get a bit of a break, if there's going to be a last lap dogfight, my money's still on Rossi. I <laughs> yeah. think he still has the beating of Maverick and Vinales, or Maverick and uh, Fabio in a last lap scrap, because that's what he does. I was at Hareth 2005, you know, Sete, you're not coming through. <laughs> Doosh, there you go. Doosh, yes. By the way, best question I ever asked in a press conference was the year after. On the Thursday, I said, um, so then, Valentino, it's the last lap of the race. You're coming into the last corner of the left hand of the hairpin here at Hareth, and it's your teammate alongside you. What do you do? <laughs> the place fell about, and he couldn't answer the question. It was a bit of good fun. Simon, you've been involved in the team at Patronus. Just give us an idea of the structure. You've got Johan Stigerfeld, former racer, 500-250, uh, level-headed Swede. Uh, you've got Raslan Rasli. Who's the team manager? Who's the team principal? Who's going to deal with the rider? Who's doing what? So uh, three three bosses. You've got Raslan, you've got Stiggy, as you've mentioned, and you've also got Wilco Zillenberg. Uh, Raslan sits above the whole thing, um, tends to be hands-off-ish to a fair extent. Stiggy tends to be actually quite hands-off altogether. He's the, the man that keeps the business running. He's the guy that spends the money, the guy that does the budgets, the guys that talks to the sponsors, all that sort of stuff. So in terms of actual team decisions made in the garage, that will be Wilco Zielenberg, who obviously ex-racer, ex-team boss, ex-world championship winning team boss, um, has worked with Valentino before while on the other side of the garage with Jorge Lorenzo and Maverick Vinales, knows Valentino very, very well. Maverick knows, or Valentino knows him. Huge amount of respect for him because Valentino respects racers. That's, you know, so I think Wilco is the right person to have in that role, actually. Um, he is no bullshit. He's a straight talker. He's very stereotypically Dutch in that regards. That's something that Valentino will appreciate. And I think the two of them, well, that will be a good combination. So bringing in the Valentino, Uccio and Albi and the, the, the Valentino Circus, you know, it's it's bigger and it has a different aura to other races. Let's not beat around the bush. That won't upset too many people who've who've built up this team from nothing. I don't think so. Uh, I think that, you know, it, it's worth remembering that, that there's kind of this aura of this is a team that was built up from nothing, but the team has actually been around quite a long time um, from their Moto3 days, Moto2 days as as Sepang Racing. So it's it's not an entirely new organization. And I think the Rossi guys, they're not the most hands-on anyway. Uh, obviously, there's Albi Terbaldi, there's Gianluca that, that runs the, the business side of things, but they're pretty, pretty standoffish. Um, some of those faces will already be regulars in the garage anyway, which helps because some of them manage Franco Morbidelli. Uh, you know, Gianluca that runs the, the VR46 project is Franco's personal manager. Um, Ichu is really replacing uh, Tom, that was Fabio's right-hand man, so that's not an extra bot in the garage. Albi Terbaldi, who's the, the big boss, the CEO, tends to be very much a background person. So, yeah, I, I don't think that they're going to step on anyone's toes. Um, the team are fairly accommodating. I think things would be a little bit different, maybe, if 
Rossi had come with a lot of mechanics and a lot of the Patronas guys who had been there for a while had lost their jobs as a result from it or had been demoted or something like that. But the fact that that he's joining their team rather than he's bringing his team to join their organization will make it all a lot easier. Yes, there are some mechanics, as you mentioned, Simon, who were with Valentino by his side from 2000. Um, and quite rightly, the, the Stiggies and the uh, and the Razlan said at Patronus, well, we've got our guys here and we're going to stick with them because that's our team and there's two people trying to go for one job and something had to budge. So that's what's happened there. Um, the people that are coming over, Matteo Flamini, he's coming over. He's the data guy for Valentino. He's got a little sort of goatee beard underneath his bottom lip. And isn't there somebody else off the top of my head who's coming over? As from the mechanic side of things, Simon. No. Okay. So, nice simple answer. That's what we like. <laughs> crew chief and data engineer. <laughs> is the is the is the crew chief not part of the, the mechanic? Why is crew chief different? Crew chief okay. crew chief's different level, isn't it? So, okay, yeah. sorry. I, and the two the two guys, so there's two common. There's a crew chief and a data guy. Fabio is sending a crew chief and a data guy with him. It's a clean swap, it's easy. That's good. That's good. I just had to ask the question because, you know, when sometimes the tail starts wagging the team dog, uh, we don't want that to happen because the team have got to have their structure. Otherwise, there's politics and it all starts to go wrong. I think we all know and agree that it was the, the right time to leave the factory team. And it's obviously the right place place for him to end up. I sincerely hope that even when he does stop ra- racing, he continues to be a Yamaha person and doesn't sell his soul to somebody who doesn't race mother gp and you just don't associate uh, the name with that brand um should he have retired should he have said do you know what let's just leave no. it be simon says a very adamant no doesn't know it to anybody to retire so no i'm i'm my ideal scenario for rossi and it's not a realistic scenario i realize because of commercial uh commercial prospects and all that but my ideal scenario would have would have been him actually going to another MotoGP manufacturer taking on a a bit of a project Yamaha is a project but it's not like a ground level project it's more of a fixer fixer upper project and I would, it would just been so interesting to see Rossi try out different bike at this point see what what he can offer to another manufacturer but I realized that wasn't ever possible and in in the absence of that Patronus is is where he belongs at this stage of his career, I think, yeah. I, I think if he had gone somewhere else, it would have been kind of comparable to what Michael Schumacher did going to Mercedes. And that that didn't work. Uh, when Michael Schumacher went to Ferrari, he wasn't he was in his pomp. He was absolutely on the rise. He was on the up, a la Valentino 2001 2 not 2021. But it would have been interesting. I I agree with you. Yeah, my thinking is not honestly. My thinking is it wouldn't work at all. But it would be oh, it would be so interesting. It would be just a great watch, and it, it would be a new storyline every week. And as as a media guy, I guess I kind of live for that sort of thing. So, the interesting thing would be if Mark would move to another manufacturer who was maybe not uh-huh. winning regularly. That would be interesting, Simon. Mark Marquez to KTM. How about that? <laughs> Mark I... is at a manufacturer that's not winning regularly right now. <laughs> Good call. Well done. <laughs> I prepare for Val. <laughs> I, I have heard a persistent rumor that 
I, no one is ever going to be able to find the answer to, I think, unless it comes out in an autobiography down the line, that there was actually a clause in Valentino Rossi's 2013 Yamaha contract that he'd never ride for another manufacturer. That was one of the terms and conditions to wow. bring him back. Wow. Yeah, that's... Uh... Just to stick the balloon in Val's fantastic yeah. idea. I think you've told me that, and that's why I said it would be it was impossible. I think, yeah, I think that's the same source for all of it. Now, we've talked a lot about uh, Franco Morbidelli and the fact that he's on the Patronus Yamaha that's an older bike. Uh, just to reiterate for people who are tuning in for this very Rossi-esque podcast, Simon, Morbidelli is staying with a, with a 19 or he's going to do a 19 hybrid. He's going to do a 20. Is he really going to have a two-year-old bike? Um, at this point, the waters are so muddy that I'm not entirely sure. They probably don't know uh, either. Yeah. No, I. Um, it sounds like he's going to have a 2019 bike with a newer engine in it. Because the bikes are theoretically very, very similar. Um, it sounds like that, depending on who you ask, that's because that's the best package to give him because that's the package he's most comfortable with, because Petronas can't afford to pay Yamaha to give them anything better, because Yamaha can't spare the time to build them something new. Lots of theories. But I I think a two-year-old bike when there's a development freeze in place isn't the end of the world, especially after what he did last year. And if some of the rumors from what we've heard about the factory are right, then they're going to be in a bike that's not massively dissimilar anyway, because it sounds like they've built a new 2021 frame, which isn't part of the development freeze, that is actually kind of a 2019 frame that fits a 2020 engine into it. So it's not the it's not the big thing that it sounds, it being in a two-year-old bike. And that's a motorbike that won two of the last four Grand Prix, let us not forget. So that actual bike of uh, Franco Morbidelli, who we do have to remind ourselves, finished second in the World Championship by only 13 points. You do have to just recalibrate the brain and look at the at the truth table and go, 13 points behind 171 was Franco Morbidelli on, a, on the floor sweepings. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> what... I think I think what's going to be very interesting is the dynamic between Morbidelli and Rossi. Uh, Morbidelli was found by Valentino, the, the the leading person through the whole VR46 Academy, coming through the order, winning uh, the Moda 2 Championship, winning Grand Prix in Moda GP level. And now they're in the garage together. My goodness me, that is a bulldozer force of determination between youth and experience. Don't think you'll get a better pairing for many, many a year. I can't imagine any circumstance where there has been two teammates as well matched, as friendly, as on much on the same cards as this current pair. You know, we thought last year, whenever Mark Marquez's teammate was going to be his brother Alex, that they were going to be the perfect team. But this to me is even closer because you've got two people who are as close as brothers, but whose level is so much closer than than where Mark and Alex's would have been had we seen Mark have a full season last year. So it it really is in terms of com writer combinations, it is the dream team. Honestly, the way I see it is if, if you had two riders who are similar points in their careers and they're great friends and closely matched, then making them teammates is a recipe for disaster and blood feud. But because 
just looking at it, I think Franco Morbidelli and Valentino Rossi have two very different expectations, sets of expectations for the remainder of their MotoGP career and very different targets. And I think that basically makes it that uh, that uh, they're going to get along just fine. I thought you were going to go down a road of there's going to be a clash. No, 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 no. Because, no. okay. because, because. Uh, I uh, Franco said that his friendship with Rossi was more important to him than MotoGP, and I believe that to a point, but I also think that it's easier to say when you see the guy as a mentor and he sees himself as your mentor because you are just you are in very different points of your career and your success does not depend on the failure of the other, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, they've even got different specs of bikes, so it's even going to be not too easy to compare them head to head, which is usually the origin of any sort of interteen drama. So, yeah, I think they're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, the comparison is the uh, is the truth table that gets printed out on the website, which is the yeah. uh, the qualifying sheet, the result sheet, the uh, championship table that we've got here. Um, Yes, it'll be uh, it'll be very interesting. Uh, the world still watches Valentino Rossi. Every race is a home race for Valentino. Uh, I know Valentino maybe across a bit of Formula One, and I haven't been to so many Formula One races of late. But colleagues tell me that that's the same effect for for Lewis Hamilton. It is just massive, and that that tidal wave, that crest of the wave, that are those two names in the two sports. It's great to see that they carry on. Uh, it'll be a it'll be a sad day when he stops. I just hope that he stops on his own volition rather than an accident. That that worries me, is that there's an accident that breaks a leg, breaks a wrist. Who knows what's happening to Mark Marquez? Let's not beat around the bush. Um, and it would be a very sad day if uh, if something happens. What's your take on racing a? 200 oh, sorry 300 horsepower motorbike at 158 kilos when you're 42 and a half years old i i think the odds of that happening are probably thankfully slim um we we have a sport that's safer than it's ever been um and we have you know amazing technology like airbags and we have a all of those things and we have Valentino Rossi who cares about all of that too who cares deeply about safety who you know puts his own money into it through some of his businesses and whatever so um I think he's as safe as riders come obviously you can't take all the risk out of it but I think the thankfully the odds of seeing something like that are probably if anything probably passed because if you're going to have an accident like that, it's when you are pushing on the limit every single weekend, like Mark Marquez was. And Rossi doesn't need to push all the time anymore. No, I should say we did very much get away with one last year at the, the Red Bull ring, but that obviously had nothing to do with Rossi being whatever age he was at that point. It was just, you know, it was a freak occurrence and a freak occurrence can happen with any rider. And, you know, if Rossi was injured in some sort of freak accident, it would be no more, it would be awful, obviously, but no more or less awful than any other rider on the grid being injured like that. So, and and as far as safety is concerned, he is a, he is clearly a very, very safe rider and he doesn't, I say he doesn't crash a lot. He did crash a few times last year in several consecutive races, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't risk as much as some of the younger kids, that's for sure. No, he doesn't fling it down the road like some who you know are going to bin it. Yeah. And you know, you know your carbon fibre and paint bill is going to be pretty horrendous by 
the time you get mid-season. Uh, that's uh, no, no, no doubt there. Um, <clears throat> okay, anything else that strikes you about this 2021 season and, and Valentino? What, where do you think he might finish in the, in the championship or how many races m- might he win? Who's going to go first? Uh, tenth and zero. Straight off the blocks. Ooh. Simon, how do you answer Ooh. that? Okay. I'm going to say top six, four podiums, and a win. Okay. I'm going to go for... Shall I go for two or one? I'll go for two, just to be different. See just to Toby be different. Let's go first. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll, I'll go for two victories. Um... I'll go for top 10 in the championship, three podiums, three podiums. And if you're listening to this in mid-November, please write to us now because we're recording this at the beginning of March. (laughs) So you'll find out who's completely wrong or we're all completely wrong because one of us will be more right than the others. So uh, let's see how we all shake out on that one. Uh, It's going to be an interesting season. Um, Limited testing. It might be an advantage to Valentino with a limited number of days of testing. It's not like the old days when they could go to Phillip Island for three days, Qatar, Hareth, etc. back to Phillip Island. Those days are long, long, long gone, even pre-COVID. Um, it's going to be sort of falling into his lap, isn't it, Simon, to have less hours, less days? Arguably, yeah, for the guy that you know, talked today extensively about how he doesn't really care about testing and development anymore, just wants to ride the bike he has and make it go fast every weekend. Um, I think less testing the better. It's not like he needs to lose, you know, learn his way around some of these tracks, is it? After all these years. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I think he'll be fine. I think the less could, the better. Could be a bit of Italian chit chat going oh, on there, there that they've is, made up over the pizza the night before. Of yeah. course there is, but that's what we expect from him. He is still the master of the mind games. He I, is. I don't think he loves and enjoys testing so much, but I, what I did notice in, in previous pre-seasons and just generally about Rossi recently is that he never seems that quick out of the box. Like whenever you hear him on a first day of a weekend or on a first day of a of a test, he's always not as quick as when he ends the test. And that sounds logical, but that's not the case for the other Yamaha guys at all. For the other Yamaha guys, it's a complete dice roll whether they're quick on any given day. But Rossi does generally seem to gradually improve with more track time. So for me, I actually do think that it might hurt him, a lack of testing. I think he's a guy who who manages to take a lot out of extra mileage, at least from my recent uh, recent observations. He's a very methodical rider. I'm never been a crew chief for him and never been a crew chief for anybody but he's a very methodical rider he's not a chuck it around and and fling it those days were the um the early the early few races in uh, in 250 which were 98 he got it all sorted and then he nearly won the 98 championship in his first year at 250 he dominated in 1990 second year in 250 he flung it around a bit on a 500 well who wouldn't and then it all leveled out. Those days, of course, are, are way, way behind him on a four-stroke uh, big motor GP bike. So he, he's very methodical. So he's not a fling it into the corner and work it out, which is the impression we get from Marquez, which, as I said, is another podcast uh, as to how he is coming along. And hopefully we'll see him. Uh, any other comments before we uh, we bid farewell? That's a no, then. Okay, then. You uh, uh, no. Simon's nodding his head. He's, nah, um, no, he, he's not going to join the back of the grid. I'm just looking forward to seeing it all happening. Exactly. 
you know, it's, yeah. we've talked about it long let's enough. Just, let's just make it all Let's just get on with it. Well, on that bombshell, thank you for listening. Do like and subscribe so that you will get the latest chit-chat from us here at The Race. Keep across the-race.com. Add the bookmark in your browser for all of your MotoGP, Formula One, eSports, and FE News. So thank you for listening. In the meantime, from all of us here at The Race, we'll speak to you all again very soon. Goodbye for now. Goodbye for now.